0: This audio lecture is based entirely upon the casebook Computer-Aided Exercises in Civil Procedure by Roger C. Park and Douglas D. McFarland. The casebook is published by Cali E. Langdell Press and licensed Creative Commons Attribution Noncommercial commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported. That means that the authors have allowed everyone to copy and redistribute the material in any medium or format, and remix, transform, and build upon the material as long as users give appropriate credit, don't use the material for commercial purposes, and redistribute the contributions under the same license. Much thanks is due to the authors for writing this book and providing it to everyone for free. In furtherance of this spirit, and in compliance with the original license, I also license this audio lecture as Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Alike 3.0 Unported. I hope you enjoy. Hello everybody and welcome to the Civil Procedure Lectures. This is part two, and in this lecture we'll be talking about pleading a complaint and judgments on the pleadings. This lecture is about pleading, but more specifically, it is about pleading a complaint. It does not expand into the general topic of pleading. So subjects such as responses to a complaint, additional pleadings, and amendments to pleadings are not included. Now moving to pleadings under the federal rules of civil procedure. An impetus developed in the early 20th century for sweeping reform in civil procedure. Congress passed the Rules Enabling Act in 1934. This is 28 U.S.C. Section 2072, which allowed the Supreme Court to appoint an advisory committee to draft rules of civil procedure for the federal courts. The advisory committee, under the leadership of Charles E. Clark, recommended a set of civil procedure rules to the court, and the court promulgated the federal rules of civil procedure in 1938. The federal rules govern procedure in the federal courts to this day. A majority of U.S. states today are so-called rules states, with rules patterned after the federal rules. The function of pleading under the federal rules is to give notice to the opposing party and the court of the nature of the claim or defense. The federal rules are often called a notice-pleading system. The federal rules accomplish the notice-pleading system primarily by requiring the plaintiff to plead only, quote, a short and plain statement of the claim Showing that the pleader is entitled to relief end quote. This is from the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, rule number eight A2. The intended simplicity of pleading a claim is reinforced by other rules. Another functions of preparing a case for trial are delegated to other portions of the rules, primarily the discovery rules. By requiring only a short and plain statement of a claim, the rules eliminate the two major sources of pleading litigation. Requiring pleading of facts does not appear in Federal Rule 8. In addition, cause of action does not appear in Federal Rule 8, or anywhere in the Federal Rules. It has been abolished in the Federal Courts and Rules States. The use of the term claim for relief in preference to cause of action was quite intentional to eliminate pleading problems. The transition from cause of action to claim did not, and even today sometimes does not, come easily. Repeated attempts to reinstitute fact pleading in the cause of action have been made in the federal courts. The most famous early case standing for the proposition that Federal Rule 8A2 means what it says is Diogardi versus Durning in 1944. The district court dismissed plaintiff's handwritten, nearly unintelligible complaint for failure, quote, to state facts sufficient to constitute a cause of action, end quote. The opinion reversing the dismissal was written by the same man who earlier had drafted the federal rules, Judge Charles E. Clark of the Second Circuit. The court decided the complaint stated a claim because it gave basic notice to the defendant of the nature of the plaintiff's claim. Not long after Diogardi, the Supreme Court stated, all the rules require is a short and plain statement of the claim that will give the defendant fair notice of what the plaintiff's claim is and the grounds upon which it rests. End quote. This is from Conley versus Gibson in 1957. The notice-pleading approach that underlies the entire federal rules system has been cast into some doubt by two recent Supreme Court decisions. The opinion in Bell Atlantic Corporation v. Twombly requires a plaintiff in an antitrust action under the Sherman Act to plead more factual matter than mere notice would require. Even more importantly, the opinion disapproves the broad statement of notice pleading in Conley. Two years later, the opinion in Ashcroft v. Iqbal requires that a claim be plausible in order to survive a motion to dismiss for failure to state a claim. However, in sum, a court construing a challenged complaint will simply ask whether the complaint gives fair notice of the claim. Now moving to the motion for judgment on the pleadings. After the pleadings have closed, either party may make a motion for judgment On the pleadings. The motion for judgment on the pleadings cannot speak. The allegations of the party opposing the motion are taken as true. Resolution of factual issues is reserved for trial. Nor can the movement reply upon an affirmative allegation in her pleading unless it is admitted by the adversary. For example, Suppose a plaintiff sues defendant on a theory of invasion of privacy, alleging the defendant used the plaintiff's photograph for advertising purposes without permission. If the defendant admits using the photograph but raises an affirmative defense, the plaintiff would be entitled to judgment on the pleadings when her complaint is legally sufficient and the defendant's affirmative defense is legally insufficient. If the defendant denied using the photograph, however, the plaintiff would be bound by the denial for purposes of the motion for judgment on the pleadings. Plaintiff could not introduce extrinsic evidence that the photograph had been used. The motion for judgment on the pleadings searches the pleadings. When plaintiff makes a motion for judgment on the pleadings, she exposes herself to the possibility that her complaint will be dismissed. Before examining the sufficiency of the defendant's answer, the court examines the sufficiency of the plaintiff's complaint. And if the plaintiff's complaint does not state a cause of action, it will be dismissed. So that brings us to the end of this short lecture. Thanks, everybody, and take care.